How many of you can swim 2.6 miles? How many of you would enjoy swimming 2.6 miles? Not a hand. Not a hand. How many of you would enjoy riding a bicycle for 112 miles? Anybody? No? Okay. And how many of you would like to do a run of 26.2 miles, a marathon? Any hands up? Oh, there's one, two hands. That's great. Have you done marathons before, Norman? A half marathon. That's very good. That's a half more than me. And what about you, John? Have you done any? Sorry? But you're hoping to do one yet, are you? Okay, great. Well, let us know when you do it. And uh, we'll keep our wallets in our pockets. <laughs> but if you do it for the building fund, we'll support you, okay? <laughs> so there you go. Now put those together. And what do you have? You have an Ironman. And the Ironman competitions are taking place all over the world in different countries. And <clears throat> they start off with a swim of 2.6 miles. They then get out of the water, they change, and they get onto their bicycles, and they cycle 112 miles. They stop with their bicycle that gets wheeled away, and then they start off in a marathon of 26.2 miles. They have to finish in 17 hours. They have to finish in 17 hours, or they don't get a medal. And uh, there was a picture of one man, I was watching a, a YouTube yesterday, and, and this guy in America, <clears throat> and he was a huge guy, huge guy, and he got a goal that he was going to do an Ironman, and he set to, and he started the train, and he got his weight down sufficiently to enable him to sign up, and his doctor was happy, and he took off, and he just finished over the 17 hours and didn't get his medal. And, and, and yet he was smiling at the end. He was just so proud of himself that he had been able to do that. And so that's an Ironman. Well, I want you to meet my hero in relation to Ironman. There he is. Uh, you see, the, it's the guy in the green there, and that's standing, the lady standing beside him is his wife. And that's our uh, first son. That's Ross. And in 2012, he went across to Germany. And the winner's time, look at that. It took the winner 8 hours, 11 minutes, 59 seconds to do all of those three things together. Now, Ross, this was his first Ironman. He took 13 hours, 10 minutes, and 46 seconds. And there's a second one which took place in Switzerland, and the winner's time there was 8.33, and he took 13.30. And then this is his third marathon, which was in Mallorca in Spain, and the winner's time was 8.17, and he cut almost an hour off his time and clocked in at 12.14. And he has his medals up in his garage now, which he converted into a kind of gym. So that's Ross, and uh, very proud of him and his activities and his Ironman. Now, did you notice the differences in times? I commented, didn't I? The Germany, five hours behind the winner. Five hours. That's a lot of time. Switzerland, again, approximately five hours behind the winner. And in Spain, he'd cut it by an hour, approximately four hours behind the winner. Now, here's the thing that amazes me about him. He's doing one this year, and he knows, he absolutely knows he won't win that race. 
He knows that. He would be an idiot if he thought he would because he's just not into that sufficiently, not doing enough training to get to those sort of hours, eight hours. So he's going there, and he knows he's not going to be the winner who will stand in the podium and re- receive the, the winner's medal. And yet he does it. He does it. And he started training in, uh, over just before Christmas, New Year, and he'll now be training the whole way through till he goes in June. So why? Why? Well, the joy of taking part in such a healthy activity. Healthy activity. I think I'd be dead if I started to try that. So, and yet it is a healthy activity. And he finds joy in that. He knows that when he gets to the end, he's going to be exhilarated. He's going to feel I've, my body is going to benefit from this, even though he's walking like this for about three days. He's going to know that ultimately it's going to be good. It's a healthy activity. And he finds joy in that. The comradeship he shares. I mean, when you see them all lining up, there's like the London Marathon. Everybody's just shoving together and and having fun and smiling at each other. Perfect strangers, but friendly and enjoying it. And there's a comradeship in that. And then the joy and personal achievement. Five hours after the winner sounds a lot, but to qualify and to get in before 17 is just wonderful. And he goes away thinking, well, I've done it. And when he goes into the garage, if he looks, there's his medal. Now, why am I going over this? Well, the question that has been in my mind today, in relation today, am I as joyous? Am I as enthusiastic? Am I as energetic? And am I willing to pay the price of serving Jesus and his church? So I look at my son who isn't yet uh, walking in faith. But I look at him and I see a picture of someone who's totally and utterly dedicated to something. And I see a joy. I see an enthusiasm. I see energy. I see sacrifice. Money, what it costs. The time away from his family. I see all those things. And I'm amazed. And then I find myself looking at myself and think, in relation to me at 74 serving Jesus, am I showing these things for something which is infinitely more important than achieving and winning a medal at an Ironman? Am I as joyous, enthusiastic, energetic, and willing to pay the price of serving Jesus and this church. Now, <clears throat> take just a minute and just have a thought about that. How about us? How about us in our walk with God? I had a sermon all sketched out already, and I was thinking, this is right. And then about 10 days ago, God started to agitate and begin to work. And he said, no, uh -uh, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. And I come to you this morning with just the simplest of thoughts that God laid in my heart for the service this morning. Why? I have no idea. 
but I believe he knows. So the question, how do we find such joy and enthusiasm and energy? How do we find it? Or how do we rekindle it? When I was in the faith mission, we used to sing in a quartet. And as as some of you know, uh, we actually cut two records. We sold 2,000 records. Uh, That's quite amazing, especially when you heard it. It's even more amazing that anybody would buy them. I sent a box of them home to my mother in Northern Ireland, and she sold them. Uh, All her friends, they didn't get any tea or coffee until they'd bought a record. And... and, uh, Got, we didn't get into the hits or anything like that, but we used to sing a song together in the quartet, and it was called Back to the Old Ways Again. And it comes from Jeremiah, where God recognizes that it's possible for people to set out in a certain direction, fully intending to keep walking towards that goal, but their love for Jesus, the flames that are burning up, begin to go down. Never get extinguished, but they don't burn brightly. And I found that song really touched my heart and still does. And often I remember it. Back to the old ways of righteousness. Back to the old ways again. And it's so possible that we start off for Jesus filled with joy filled with enthusiasm, fired up with energy to serve him. And then as time goes on and you get to know the church and you discover that the church isn't perfect and you thought it was and you begin to get discouraged and suddenly the flame of enthusiasm and sacrifice begins to grow really dim. How do we get that rekindled? And find the joy of being in Jesus' church. How do we get it? And I just found this is what God was chucking my way. And I want to share it. Become committed members of Christ's church. That's where it all starts. A churchless Christian isn't a New Testament Christian. The first thing you find in the Bible, in the New Testament, is that when people committed their lives to Christ, they immediately, they immediately joined themselves to a group of Christians who became known as churches. And they became part of that living organism. And they began to grow spiritually in that living organism. And they became vital parts of that organism. That's the key. And it starts with becoming committed members of Christ's church. And commitment means that you you make a commitment and you stay with that commitment. And that's what we are looking for and what God is looking for today in 2017. Now, Paul knew his readers had done that. Because when you read the book of Acts, You discover in Acts chapter 18 these words, Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue. Now remember, the synagogue was the, quote, in inverted commas, the opposition. They were the Jews who didn't want this message about Jesus to get out. And here was Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. His household and many Corinthians believed Paul's message and were baptized. And one night the Lord spoke to Paul, don't be afraid, 
Keep speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to harm you. And look at that. I have many people in the city. And he stayed on for another 18 months, and the church grew. And that church became a committed body of believers. Now, it turned out to have its same problems as every church. There were people in it who were difficult. There were people in it who got involved in morality matters, which were not pleasing to God, and and so on. They had their problems, like every church. But they were part of that body, and they would have been known in Corinth. Oh, those are the people that go to that church. Because they had those that God had found and rescued from sin committed themselves to him and got involved in the life of the church. Having been baptized as believers, they got involved in a local body of Christians. And Paul stayed, as I said, a year and a half teaching those people. And again, there they were, fully committed to Christ and identified in the community as the church in Corinth. That's the way it was. Now, as they grew, they maybe planted another church. I don't know. I look over in in Hillview where uh, Martin is ministering, and you see another church being planted in Kintour from the church in Hillview. That may have happened in Corinth. They may have done something in the suburbs. I don't know. But they were identified with that church by total commitment to live for him. Now, my question is, have we here this morning, all of us, made a commitment to Jesus Christ and his church? Some of you who have known me since 2008 when we moved up here, know I I belong to an organization called the Christian Endeavor. I was brought up in the Christian Endeavor. Wonderful Christian organization. And we used to wear a little badge which said, for Christ and his church. That was the motto, for Christ and his church. And it was like the old song, love and marriage. You can't have one without the other. And you can't have Christ without having his church. And even when his church is imperfect, you hang in there because every church passes through these situations, sadly, but God continues to work. And with the support and commitment of the individuals in that church, he keeps that church together and he continues to build that church and to bless that church. But it takes wholehearted and total commitment to Jesus Christ and his church. Now, this morning, if you're here and you haven't made a commitment to Christ yet, why not make that commitment to Jesus now? It's an amazing thing. It's amazing. You may rise from your knees if you knelt. We don't kneel today, and I think it's a mistake. We have lost that art of kneeling. But, you know, you you need when when I knelt and got up from my knees, you may have heard me say, it was the most disappointing night in my life. I was giving myself to Christ and I expected something to change inside me to feel differently and it didn't. And then Willie Mullen, the preacher, said, what does this verse of the Bible say? He who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What have you just done? And I said, well, I've called on the Lord. He said, so what are you? I said, I'm saved. And I went into the shipyard the next day, and at half eleven, when we would normally go to the pub next door to get two Guinnesses, one each, my mate and myself, 
I said to him, I can't go because in Northern Ireland, the demarcation lines were very firm then, very firm. This is 1961, very firm. You wouldn't go in as, into a pub as a Christian. And I said, I can't go. What? Why can't you go? If it's money, I'll help you out. I said, it's not money. And with hesitancy, I said, I became a Christian last night. And this man who had traveled the world for 40 years as a marine engineer looked at me and he said, are you going to say you're one of those people who say they're born again? And I said, and I thought, what's coming? And I said, yeah, that's me. And to my utter surprise, he said, well, the best of luck to you. And do you know something? At that moment, I knew, I knew and it was as if God had put me on probation and said, when I see that you are serious and ready to confess me, because not only are you to believe in your heart, you're to confess with your mouth, you will know you're my child. So my friends, have you committed your life? And immediately following on to that, I became a communicant in the Presbyterian church, and the Christian endeavor taught me I was to belong to the church. Are you committed to a church? If you're living in this area and you're here this morning, is God calling you to make a solid commitment and a lasting commitment that come what may, whether the church goes through troubled times or mountaintop times, you're going to be there. That's what Jesus is looking for. I, I believe this is, could be potentially one of the most exciting times in the life of this fellowship. 30 years old, it could be one of the most exciting times in the life of this church. And I want to urge you, if you're not yet a committed member, commit your life to Christ and then commit your life to his church. Because that's the key to finding real joy and a bright future with God. These people became committed members of Christ's body. The second thing is we have to start to prepare for the Christian race. Now, in that passage of Scripture we read this morning from 1 Corinthians 9 and then in the Hebrews 12, it was all about races. They weren't iron men then. They were doing marathons. And they all prepared. And they got into training. And as I said, what Ross is doing now, they trained. And so it is in the Christian life. Why do people's, why does the flame die down. Because I honestly feel we've lost something of the impact of discipleship. You know, I look back and I still see people who were 10, 20, some of them 30 years older than me. But they looked at me as a young Christian and they metaphorically put their arm around me and they cared for me and they nurtured me and they supported me through thick and thin. Because it was part of that church. And we need that. And we need to start to prepare to run the Christian life, the Christian race. Now, in the passage of Scripture, which you can read later as well, 1 Corinthians 9, you'll find it's highlighted that all Christians are disciplined. Now, that's a big thing to be disciplined. I mean, I just love my coffee out. I love it. And yesterday I was all set to go uh, to the Kirk Center. Pardon me publicizing it, but they make the most wonderful white chocolate millionaire shortbread. Oh, 
it is to, I was going to say to die for, but no, not, not that much. But really, it is amazing. And I was all set to go there to have my two-shot coffee and my bit of millionaire shortbread. Now, I hasten to add decaf coffee. Afternoon, no caffeine. Margaret thinks I get high enough even a coffee up to noon. So no decaf. So you get two-shot coffee, decaf coffee. It's good coffee. I would say it's the best in the town. And, and you get this lovely shortbread. And I have no shares in the Kirk Centre. But go there. And then Reen arrived with Margaret's Mother's Day present. And it was lovely. So I didn't get. I didn't get. And you know, just as well, because I would have sat there and I would have fed upon it. I cut it into eight pieces. And I, oh, I would take as long as I can to eat it and savor it and enjoy it. It is magic. It is great. And I think, well, what's happening? Well, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. See? And that's what's happening. All this going to the Kirk Center or JRDs for the cheap breakfast or wherever, it's all contributing to this. And there's no discipline. And I need to pray for discipline that God will take away the love of that shortbread. So all the athletes, so I'm not an athlete. There's no discipline. And when you look at the Olympics, remember the Olympics last year in Rio? Did you see the news this week? Billions of pounds spent on all those centers, and they're all lying unused. And the poor are still living in their favelas and starving. Terrible. But we watched them. I was amazed at some of the stories. Amazed. People getting out of their beds at 5 o'clock to go swimming. Swimming. 5 a.m. And they would go on and on and on. And it went on months. What were they doing? They were disciplined. They were really disciplined. And they had this goal in mind, which they wanted to achieve. And nothing on earth was going to stop them. And so they would get up early. They would run. They would swim. They would do what was needed. For what? Personal achievement. They wanted to be able to clap themselves in the back. And rightly so, because of what they'd achieved. And they would get a medal for life. They deserved it. They deserved it. The best in the world were gathered there. They deserved it. They had sacrificed time with their families, persevered. They had pushed themselves hard in training. And they deserved to get those medals. Now, Paul is challenging, and you'll find this in the Scriptures. He's challenging Corinthian Christians to consider their commitment to Christ with that of an Olympic athlete. How disciplined are we in our walk with God? Jim Reeves used to be a lovely country and western singer. And he had a song, How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? And he goes on, how long has it been? You know, I love my breakfast. I love my breakfast. And you're going to go, yeah, every morning it's the same. Well, maybe I have two varieties, two varieties. For half the week, I'll have toast, marmalade, and cheese put together. And I love it. And for the other half of the week, I'll have toast and marmalade 
and banana put together. And that's me every day of my life. I either have one or other of those for breakfast. And that's me set up for the day. And I know if I don't do my breakfast, I'm going to struggle. Go to the study, I'm going to be lethargic a bit, but my breakfast peps me up. How disciplined am I about meeting with God? You know, when I was actively involved in, in ministry, do you know what happened? The tyranny of the tangible and the tyranny of the now. I wanted at the end of the day to be able to say, well, I've done X number of emails. I've written X pages of something. I wanted to be able to do that. I would go into the study and my mind would be buzzing. And what would happen? I didn't make time for my spiritual breakfast. Discipline was missing. And guess what? I live with the regret of that. I live with the regret. And Paul challenges Christian, Corinthian Christians to look at athletes. Look at the way they pour their lives into their athletics. What are you doing in relation to following Christ? Are we disciplined in our commitment to Christ and His church? The devotional life. Again, we're back to the fire dying down. It starts here with a failure to guard our devotional life. That's when we become vulnerable. That's when the devil puts thoughts which make us doubt Jesus and God's will for our lives. It's difficult. And it's an old problem. Do you remember Jesus before the cross? He took Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, look, guys, I've got one final request. Will you pray with me? He told them about going to be crucified and all that, and he said, will you pray with me? Oh, yeah, we'll be there counting us. What happened? They fell asleep. And what happened when, they, when Jesus was led away? They all ran away except John, who made his way in because he knew somebody inside. Their eyes were heavy. So let's realize we're not the first ones to make, to, to discover such a problem. It seems strange. You could come out of the study, I could come out of the study and listen to the news with my concentration, and yet if I had started to pray, I would have felt a wee bitty mind wandering. Weird, weird. What does it? The devil doesn't want us to be involved in the devotional life. He doesn't. That ring a bell? Time alone with God. If you look, I don't know if there's a... If you look, you'll see he has his hands clasped in the attitude of prayer. He had been reading the Bible, but look what happened. He'd gone to bed, oh, I'll just have my devotional time now with God. Could have been in the morning, could have been in the evening, but he fell asleep and the Bible fell out and his devotional life suffered. 
Is that not possibly part of the reason? Look what it says. Ten hours with TV. Prayer. Ten minutes. Who do we love most? Is it Jesus who loved us and died for us? Or is it the things of this earth? Are we disciplined enough to be able to stay strong for Christ when things go wrong in our lives? Because if, my friends, if we fail here, we will be spiritually weakened. So let me, Jim Reeves, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord? Do you know one of the things that I miss most, and I won't use this one because I keep hoping somebody will, will publish this again. This was published in CBC. We put this together, and it's called my personal prayer diary. It doesn't need to be like this, but this, this what we put together served a really good purpose, and it has different commit things involved in prayer, worship, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, prayer, a privilege, it's effective, it's powerful. And then you got to each day, and each day was divided up. You, you had a time to pray for Europe. You had my family, my minister and family, my church family, names of missionaries, other subjects. And then you had my family, again, more specifically, and missionaries and friends more specifically. So you see how much room you had and here. Now, Margaret has, was one of 10 children. And it's a clan now. It's a clan in its own right. You know, 10 children with then all the babies and the bairns and seven, the, the oldest daughter then had seven of hers and, and so it goes on. So it's a huge number. I, we from the north, we had smaller children, so smaller families, so we had only three. But you know, if you list down all the numbers in our family it, and you were to pray for every one of them in detail every day, guess what? You wouldn't have time to do anything. You'd be praying the whole day. So this gave you the opportunity to list and to spread your children over the week and your grandchildren and your nephews and nieces. And it covered each day a different part of the world, Europe, Africa, Asia, North America, South America, and I've been on to talk about China, Australasia, so on. And, and look at it. It was so easy to carry with you. Wherever you went, you could carry it. So easy. And it kept you disciplined in your prayer life. Somehow, mine got lost along the way, apart from that one. And if anybody wants to copy it, you'd be welcome to borrow it. And what it does is it encourages us to pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it highlights things here. It highlights, for example, you'll not be able to read that because I can't. Read and meditate on God's Word. Start there. And then it talks about a time to worship Him. There is a time to uh, being quiet with God. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to read them properly. Confess our sins and then thank God for answers, intercede, and then pray for 
and another one then moments of reflection. And it's just a little guide. And what I've put down there, eight different activities to mix and match. You can mix them, you don't have, and even if you were to spend two minutes doing each of those things, our prayer lives would grow and develop. And that these little divisions highlight it's important to listen as well as to speak. So where are we? Where are we? How are you doing? How am I doing? Listen, this has been really hard for me to prepare. Really hard. Why am I recalling these things like back to the old ways again? Because I realize and I've been realizing more and more how easy it is to drift away from the spiritual disciplines which make us strong in Christ. Margaret and I, during since the 2nd of February last year, we pray together every day. We read a passage morning and evening and pray together. And that's been a help. That's been, it has sustained us. But individually, we need to be doing the same. Are we there? I finish with this. We should live in anticipating the joy that lies ahead. Discipline sustained Jesus after Gethsemane. He came away disappointed probably. His mates had deserted him. Had fallen asleep. But look what sustained him. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Look at that huge piece of wood, typifying what he would have been like, hauling that through the streets of a packed city, jeered at, laughed at, things thrown at him. What kept them going? You did. I did. That's what kept them going. He said, if I continue up this hill and I hang on that cross and I pour out my life, as a result of that, there will be a group that will meet in Ellen Academy who are Christians who know me and love me and live in the light of sins forgiven and a future in heaven. That's what sustained him. That was the joy that awaited him. He was going back to the Father and from there he was good to see his church birthed. And then he finishes, think of the hostility he endured from sinful people and you won't become weary and give up. Are you tempted at the minute to give up? Have you become discouraged because your prayers hasn't been answered? Can I tell you my prayers haven't been answered in the way I wanted? They haven't. But I still don't doubt the love of God. And I want to finish my life as does Margaret, serving him. And this has made me sit up. And this has been like God saying to me, hey Jim, get back to the old ways. Resurrect those habits that you let drift. Get serious again for me. 
What has God said, if anything, to you this morning? He's here. And he knows exactly where you are and where I am in the Christian life. And he's saying, I gave my life for you. Now give your life to me. This church is waiting for all of us to say to Jesus, here I am. Here I am. I haven't got much to offer, but what I've got I give. Take me. Break me. Mold me. Make me what you want me to be.